welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel of newbies. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello. panel. Hello. Uh, joining us today, that's Greg. Hello, dear. Siobhan. Hey, everybody. And Samaria. Sup, y'all. And we are going to get further into our season two deep dives, deep diving into the new characters that we have been introduced to this season. And uh, last episode, we had a lot of fun. There was a lot of interesting, interesting thoughts shared. And I'm not going to say anything more than that because, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we went a little uh, too deep on some of them, but... <laughs> I'm not saying where you were right and where you were wrong, but I know that there's going to be a lot of people who listen to that last episode going, holy shit. Nice. Are you sure they didn't read the books? <laughs> yeah. I could I could hear uh, Saima's like, face hurting from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could hear the strain. The, the muscles, like, snapping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, moving on, uh, let's pick up where we left off. Uh, I left Elias from, from the first episode for this episode, because I knew you would be here, Siobhan. And I know you, I don't know if you have thoughts or if you have feelings or if you, you have something <laughs> for Elias, but I know that you have something to share. So, uh, let's start Pants with feelings. Yeah. I was I was joking before we started recording that uh, last week you were talking about uh, Tomas as the silver fox. Well, Elias is definitely the silver wolf. <laughs> true that. True that. Does this make you a little bit of a furry? No shame. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about it that way before. Um, it is. It is. <laughs> It probably doesn't hurt that in terms of like horror movie monsters, uh, werewolves are my all time top favorite. Ah, got a, got a Lon Chaney fetish, do we? Hey, you know, <laughs> um, anyway, Elias, <laughs> enough about me. Let's talk about Elias. Um, I just find him a, a really intriguing character because like the whole idea that um, you have this person who has basically left humanity to go live with the wolves because he has more in common with the wolves. Makes me want to know more about his history as, because, you know, Perrin was an adult when he discovers his bonds with the wolves. I assume with Elias, it's probably a similar situation. He grows up among humans. He talks, you know, I miss beer, but he's walked away without looking back. Perrin still has attachment to his family and friends whereas elias is like fuck them these are my family now you've got a new pack yeah this is this is my pack those are not your pack those people from two rivers your your wife none of those people are tied to you anymore and i just i'm i'm intrigued to i find almost there's a parallel with leandrin basically like walking away from her history and um becoming an Aes Sedai. And it's almost very similar, whereas Elias is like walking away from whatever relationships and history he had, but we know even less about him than we did about Leandrin. So I'm I'm very much hoping that he comes back and we get kind of a little bit of a glimpse into how he got where he is now. Yeah, that that would be great to see just how he how he got that. How was it something that was just innate in him or did something happen? You know? 
Yeah, it's probably something he was he was just born with, and then it just came on, sort of like what happened to Perrin. It's something he was just always destined to be. But, you know, it's like, was he always a loner? Was he always someone who is alienated from other humans? Or is this, some, like, is, is this something that came about because of his bond with wolves? Or did something happen to drive him away from humans? And he very clearly doesn't like channelers, women who can channel. He doesn't trust them. Right. So where does this all come from? That most most people who are not who, who are not in either you're a, a woman like just baseline po- like no powers whatsoever. If you're not a guy who's totally baseline and you're not a female channeler, like there that there's a fear there <laughs> and a very a very uh valid one. So can't can't blame him what strikes me about elias is that he seems to be a very angry person um and i don't mean angry as destructive or angry as i don't know just like he has cause like to hurt other people but it it seems to be a very contained rage where it goes beyond distrust beyond resentment or he just there's a real hostility toward anything outside of his pack and I notice this in the way he talks to Perrin about Perrin's like his powers manifesting his wolf senses like awakening and him trying to understand them he's very impatient with Perrin he's very you know your human senses, those are for loser. <laughs> yeah. You know, like th- those are, I mean, yeah, they're weak, but it's not those differences. He just doesn't respect those differences. He doesn't seem to like really be able to help Perrin, like, I guess, understand the new society, the new bonds he's coming into, where like if, like, I get the sense that Perrin's not immediately rejecting like where he comes from Elias is like you know what I have I have no use for you you're yeah. you're you know you're dead weight you're holding me back and or I don't know where parents going like but I think parents trying to figure out much what he did with the Tuathion trying to figure out how this fits into him now and how he fits he could fit into that where if I get the feeling that if Perrin comes to a different conclusion about being a wolf boy, Elias is not going to like. He he will reject Perrin alongside everything else, regardless of Perrin being like him, because Perrin like thinks differently about it. I I I mean I don't I don't necessarily like, oh that's a bad thing. I just I found it really interesting. Yeah, it seems like to Elias you can't be you know lycanthropic without being misanthropic. you know it didn't occur to me until just now um when samaria was talking but i wonder how much his communication is impacted by the fact that he mostly talks to wolves who use like the the visual imagery to talk Mm. to each other and he's just out of the habit of talking with humans who have to communicate verbally yeah but he hasn't exercised that muscle yeah, I would say a lot of that 
definitely comes from, in my feeling, the way that wolves communicate. And like you were saying, he's only communicating with wolves. Wolves communicate much more directly and much more openly and much less with less judgment. You know, they, they just kind of call things as they are. And when you do that around humans, they start, start thinking that you're judging them in some way. And it's just like, I'm just laying out the facts. You're the one feeling judgment, you know, but. But I also am but, judging you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, the when you're not around humans for a while, it's hard to human. True. Yeah, I very much felt that when I had to go back to the office after the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think everybody felt that, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you're not my cat. <laughs> <laughs> my cat's way more talkative. <laughs> and appreciative of my presence. Yeah. Even though they barf in my shoes. Yes, you know, if your coworkers do that. Yeah. <laughs> HR gets involved. HR. It's a whole thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, before we move on from Elias, I want to hear theories on where Elias came from. I, I, I want to hear theories on his past. What what sent Elias into the into the wilderness with the wolves, other than just being a wolf brother? Well, I mean, he obviously left humans behind without any regrets. Yeah, I sense a lot of rejection. You know, someone who. I don't know if strive, that may or may not be the case, but definitely wanted to be part of a community and feel like he had his place and that place was appreciated and valued and he was valued for what he contributed and for whatever reasons that did not come to existence. I don't know if there was a breakdown or it just never started in the first place. Like he just could not grasp. I mean, there could be an outright shunning, but in my experience, like just in my own life, a lot of the time when I don't feel like I fit in, it's 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 more subtle. Like there's no one saying, oh, you can't be here. You can't sit with us. It's just kind of like, you know, you, you don't get to have a place. Like you can, you just kind of skirt and navigate in between people and groups as best as you can. And, oh, you know, just hope someone says something nice to you every now and then. And I, I get that feeling where he, like, at some point he was just like, screw it. Like, I got I got new folks. This is what's happening. I'm going to try my hand at that. And it worked. It clicked. And he was like, you know what? F it. I'm out. Yeah, it's like he, it, one of two things either happened. Either it was like a shunning kind of thing. Like, you know, Rudolph not being able to play in the reindeer games. <laughs> So when your when your eyes start glowing gold, people don't trust you. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You it's know, suspicious. <laughs> like you know, either either I think it was either something like that, or he was part of a society and just saw futility in it. It's like you know, why are we why are we doing this? Um, you know, he either self-exiled or was exiled, I think. I don't know which. So what I'm hearing you say is he's kind of in the same mindset as Ishamael in a way in that this is humans are all suffering and being and, and existence with humans is suffering. And he realizes it's the humans part of that that is the suffering. Existence is yeah. great. The humans, not so <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, when he's with the wolves, he's 
like there's real happiness and joy and ease. And as soon as he's even with one other person, like it's impatience. It's, you know, yeah, yeah. like you can, you can feel the irritation and aggravation. Yeah, it's like with the with the wolves, the whole existence is eat, pray, love. You know, yeah. you don't have to go on a quest for it. It's just the way they are. I do, I do kind of wonder, like, if he left human society, uh, or if he was driven out of human society, it's because of the physical changes that come along with being a wolf brother. I mean, someone's eyes turn yellow, which is, and they start talking to animals. Your family might kind of go, okay, you're getting power from somewhere where you shouldn't yeah. like mm-hmm. maybe they're concerned about him being a channeler or you know has made a deal with the has become a dark friend and gotten powers now or something yeah it's right. a very it's a very suspicious society like all yeah. across the board oh yeah well i was going to point out when perrin's powers first kind of started showing up you all yeah you all theorized that maybe he was a channeler yeah so, I mean, it, it's not so far to think that people in this world would think the same thing. Right. And that would, you know, again, be a really good reason for him to stay away from people, especially women who can do magic. Right. And honestly, if, you know, your family is wolves, humans don't treat wolves all that great all the time. No. So I could see taking sides there as well. Um, okay. I think uh, we ran dry on, on what we can say about Elias there. I want to see more of him, so we'll have yeah. more to say. <laughs> yes. So, uh, moving on, let's uh, get into some more of our brand new characters. Starting in episode two, uh, we had Elaine Tricand, the daughter heir of Andor. Initial thoughts on Elaine. I like her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's, 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 on the one hand, incredibly smart and... Um, on the other hand, like kind of a bumbler, like she doesn't know how to interact with people who are not part of court. So like she comes up and starts talking to Elaine, kind of puts her foot in her mouth over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she's she's also incredibly loyal and good hearted and and like she's just trying so hard. <laughs> it's just like you and I are going to be friends, and I'm going to go about it in the most awkward way possible. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a golden retriever of a person. Yeah, yeah exactly. Assigned friend by extrovert. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds to me like you have experience with this. Oh yes, <laughs> many of those. <laughs> You know, same. It's like I tried to get rid of them and they wouldn't. And I was like, okay. All right. <laughs> you know, 15 years later, we're still here. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, oh gosh. I Like, favorite thing, she walks into Egwene's room, which is just a very, very courtly thing to do. Like, she's a princess. And so, like, everything is hers anyway. So why wouldn't yeah. Like, it doesn't occur to her to say, excuse me, would you show me your room, please? Um, yeah. And then wait for that. Yeah. <laughs> Not very good at boundaries. And then, you know, she goes, this place is a mess. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's hers. And, you know, props to her because she is quick on the uptake. Like, she figures things out. Oh, okay. I know exactly where I, where I went wrong and how. Um, and does her best. But. I think what I like best about Elaine, one, she she has a lot of nerve, which you 
which is kind of interesting for the kind of character she is, um, because I guess the way she presents herself, her personality, just her general softness, you expect her to be a bit of a punk, like a pushover, but she is not. Like, she calls, you know, she calls a queen out, um, which I guess could also be like, oh, she's a princess, she can do that. But I feel like that's, I think that's just her. Um, yeah, she's got some steely reserve to go with the uh, privilege. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like, she's she's very clever. She's, I like, maybe even manipulative. Um, like, when she's like, oh, show me around the castle, and uh, it takes Egwene forever to figure it out. Like, being able to brew hooch, and no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that takes some cunning. Um yeah, I, I really, I really like Elaine. This is the one character so far who is just one hundred percent book accurate. Like her, her appearance, her demeanor, her the way she acts, everything, everything that you all just said about her is exactly Elaine from the books. And yeah, you, she's lovable. Every, I, I can't name anybody who doesn't love Elaine. So yeah, you guys are onto it. She's got a lot of, um, I don't know what's the word for it, like, almost like a moral code. Like, you can see that she is very lonely. She talks several times about how nice it would be to be able to choose her own life, to be able to have friends, to be able to have fun. These are not things that are allowed her in her, you know, role as the heir of the biggest kingdom in the Westlands. So she, I mean, one of the reasons she obviously pursues um, Egwene as a friend is because she's kind of like, she needs, she wants a friend. She wants to be liked. She wants to have that social interaction. But if Egwene does things, she will still, like, for example, her her calling out Egwene for her jealousy, she will still kind of say, this is not a good look on you. This is not something you should be doing. She's, she's eager to please and eager to bond, but also will kind of like stand up for what she sees as, you know, potentially bad behavior. Mm. Yeah. She's not desperate, which I feel like she could easily, easily like feed, you know, where I feel like if a didn't work out, she'd be like, well, I tried. There's a whole house full of, full of other novices to befriend and she'd go (laughs) find somebody else until, you know, something worked out. Yeah, uh, the the one right next door didn't like me. I'll try the next one down the hall, you know. Right. I yeah. have two next doors. <laughs> <laughs> Just her luck, she ends up befriending, you know, the person who's got, you know, a Taviran. He's <laughs> got the most <laughs> shit a going, lot going on in her on. life at any given time. You wanted excitement? You got it. <laughs> I want to... Do a little uh, mind exercise right now with everything that you just said about Elaine and what you know of her and her character. I want you to theorize on the the Queen of Andor, her mother, who she's going to be taking over for someday. She is a character in this story, and we we will most likely be meeting her sooner or later. So I'd like to theorize what you think she is like, just based on what we see of Elaine. Distant. Yeah, loving yeah. but very emotionally distant. 
physically probably too like I don't think Elaine sees her mom a lot and when she does it's not a lot as a mom like mm-hmm. a queen more formal setting Elaine knows she's loved she knows she's wanted like I like I get the feeling that like she was a planned kid I, I don't I just have this this vibe and not planned as in we need an heir planned as we want a child but the reality of, of it is that like because her mother is a ruler she's i'm assuming i'm assuming andor is matriarchal yeah. um <laughs> yes andor has always had a queen back yeah in, back yeah. to the breaking um, yeah. based on how the two rivers village that you know these lot come from are i was like mm, yeah i feel like that goes all the way up elaine strikes me also as an only child so um i uh <laughs> i feel like her like it's rare when her mom comes around and it is elaine's mom and so Elaine like holds on to that, but she doesn't really have expectations. And if there's an anger around there, she's accepted it and kind of just like learned to live with it. Um, her dad, I don't know, is either dead or, you know, at a caregiver, but not necessarily relatable for one reason or another. Um so I get it's like it's her mom's attention she wants. It's her mom's company she wants. It's her mom's friendship and regard she wants, but she doesn't have it because her mom's ruling a country. And she has to train Elaine to rule a country, first and foremost. There was mention of a brother um, when uh, they, they discover this cooked up excuse that um, Elaine took Nynaeve and Egwene back to her kingdom for her brother's naming ceremony. But I either the the brother is much younger, or um, they don't really have the opportunity to interact much. Like it's, this is not a family where the kids grew up playing together. It was a family where they had tutors and you know um, very prescribed roles. Because she 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 feels like an only kid, like she feels like someone who's lonely, like she doesn't have a companion. That either means her brother is like someone who's not available to her, or that there's just a huge age difference. Yeah, you you can almost and you can almost see that as much as she's longing for her mother's attention, the the father is more apt to give attention to the to the boy. Um, for whatever reason, possibly because he knows, you know, she's going to be, she's going to be a queen. She's got a lot to, to learn. I can't teach it to her. Only her mother can. So he's spending all of his attention on the son who's going to grow up royal and privileged and probably out hunting all the time and hanging with the, the you know, the boys in the, the, the boys in the court and, you know, just being dudes, you know, it's, it, it, it's almost like he doesn't know how to be a girl dad. Um, yeah. I mean, and it's entirely possible given that even if she had younger sisters, that they would, their time would not be as heavily restricted as hers because she is the heir. She's taking over the throne. She's being trained from day one for that role. She doesn't have free time to hang around with her siblings or her father or, you know. Yeah. She's Willie. She's not Harry. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, even if she is with her mom a lot, 
like I feel like there's still like that clear like emotional and mental divide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like she's more of a training manager than a mom, you know. Mhm. Got to got to be ready. Mhm. What do you think her mom is like as a monarch? Not as a mother, but as a monarch. Strict, stern, not iron-fisted. Um like I think she's she's got to be like diplomacy whiz you know mm-hmm. um elaine says she grew up partially at the tower spending six summers so her mom's aware like she knows she has a powerful daughter she or you know she her daughter is going to have dual roles and so she, like she needs to be like integrated into tower life the Aes Sedai society um i think she's Probably, I feel like Elaine's probably actually a lot like her mom. Maybe a bit more sunny and happy-go-lucky. But I like I have a feeling that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree here. Um, yeah, like she hasn't and, gotten it. She hasn't gotten it like pushed down by the the yeah. bounds of her job yet. Yet, right? And so I feel like her mom is, you know, very, you know, cunning. Very good at the politics of ruling. Like, I don't think much of anything gets past her. Like, you don't hear of Andor, like, popping off like you hear of anything else. So I feel like that's a direct report on what kind of ruler she is, what kind of monarch. Like, everything, it's a it's a tight ship. Tight and steady. I think she would send Elaine to the tower, even if Elaine couldn't channel, just mm-hmm. because this is a very important ally yeah. to have. So with diplomacy, like like yeah, with uh, yeah. with the Shinarans, where you know the uh, the the princess was sent there, you know, sort of as a finishing school kind of thing, uh, you know, partially I think I think partially as a societal thing and partially as a diplomatic thing. I think she's also probably from the you know perspective of the people who actually live in her kingdom, fairly hands off ruler, given that you know. And Queen didn't even know who Elaine was. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, we have a queen? <laughs> not only did she not know she had a queen, she didn't know they were part of Andor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, she knew of the existence of Andor, just Andor on her maps didn't get all the way to the two rivers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, she grew up in, like, the middle of nowhere, Appalachia, West Virginia, and didn't realize, like, Ohio was right next door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we... we Definitely delve pretty deep into Elaine there and, and Elaine's family from there, which, yeah, you guys are amazing. I'll just say that. I mean, much. she's obviously a major character going forward, so. Uh, so moving on, uh, another new character we have uh, starting in in episode two is uh, Errol, our, our patient in the sanitarium. I do like the way they portrayed PTSD. Mm-hmm. Like this is a man who was a warrior. He, you know, is able to, he knows the sword forms. He's able to teach them to Rand. He was good at what he did. And he just went through a horrible experience. that hasn't left him. Yeah, that he's definitely got the, um, sort of the archetype of the, you know, the shell shocked, uh, you know, person who left the battle, but the battle never left him. Yeah. And he's not treated as pathetic. No, there's a, there's a dignity to it. Uh, it seems like 
the people around him, uh, you know, understand. It's not like it's a, you know, we're locking you away because you're, you know, you're nuts. It's like, okay, you've been through some shit. So it seems like there is a, there, there's a respect for mental illness and trauma in the society that, you know, is much more advanced than the American version. Um, <laughs> With the yeah. exception of Dick, of course. <clears throat> Richard. Uh, uh, D- Richard, the disorderly orderly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's one every time, in every, uh, in every depiction of mental illness uh, facilities or mental health facilities. So I, sus- I suspect he's also not the only veteran in the hospital. What I like not so much about Errol, but about this hospital is how realistic it is. Um, where like you have like nurses who abuse the patients like that absolutely happens in homes like this, in settings like this. And, you know, you have people like Rand who are there because they need to go somewhere. They need a job but they're making the best of it and they're treating, you know, patients like people. Like Rand could very easily like have treated Errol like with exasperation. Like he's like, we do this every day, Errol. And, you know, there could have been the frustration or just the weariness involved. And like he greets Errol. He knows that he and Errol have done this for weeks, months on end. Errol doesn't know that. For Errol, it's an aisle man, man coming in to slit his neck and he has to do this every day. And that's, that's exhausting. Even if he doesn't remember it, his body does, his mind does. Um, and, you know, Rand comes in there. He, what I really like about the scene is how he serves Errol very specifically. So he kneels down, he puts on Errol's slippers, he helps him to his jacket. Like he sets aright the trinket on his desk. Like he does these very small things where he didn't have to do that. You know, he could have been like, okay, Errol, good morning. Yes, yes, yes. Like he could have been just this kind, but not put those little touches that would make Errol feel at ease. Um, very intentionally, um, like he, his movements are very slow, very soft. He, you know, he's not jerking around. He's not raising his voice. He's keeping his tone very even and just the intentionality of that. And, you know, he takes his time with, with Errol and Errol like is side-eyeing him, but very quickly it's like, oh, okay. Like he believes him where literally 10 minutes before he was like i'm going to meet my maker once and for all and so you know i just 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 little things i really caught on and paid attention to this time around watching this episode it kind of makes you wonder if tam is dealing with any of that stuff and that's why he's so used to it or you know tam's mm-hmm. friends Tam or... might have the odd flashback he's right seeing some shit yeah so he's he's dealing with it in, you know, and he maybe sees some of Tam in him because, you know, played master, fought in the Iowa War, you know. This this could be my, you know, father if things had gone badly for him. I also have to wonder how much of it might be he knows at this point he is destined to go mad. He, he's destined mm. to to lose his mind. And does that create within him 
an extra level of empathy for these people. Yeah, that's true. Like I'm, I'm going to be like you someday. So I need to treat you like I'm going to want to be treated, you know? I really love the line that Rand says to him every day we get to start fresh. And that to me is kind of like the, that sums up the whole point of the wheel that, you know, we live our lives, we make our mistakes, but we get to start over and try again, which is like how the light side opposes the dark. The dark says it's coming back is torture. Let's just kill it. Whereas the light side is kind of like we, we, this is a gift. Yeah. We can get better each time we go through. Um, and I can say Errol is not a character from the books. Um, this was a character made up for the show, but he absolutely feels like a Robert Jordan character to me through and through. Um, oh yeah. Especially because of the, the whole PTSD and, and mental health angle, which Robert Jordan put a lot of that into these books. There's, there's a mm -hmm. lot of, of military PTSD and, and how people handle that just yeah. strung throughout these books. So this character, like I said, 100% feels like a Robert Jordan character. So I, that, I love this character. Yeah, it's a big deal with Vietnam veterans because mm -hmm. that was like the first time that it really seemed to get taken seriously years later. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's kind of like how he wishes, he wishes people would have been treated all along. Yeah. It's not like, oh, it's shell shock. Go take morphine about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I think uh, we pretty well covered Errol there, especially for a character that that had such little screen time and, and isn't even from the books, but still a fascinating character that I hope we get to see some more of. Um, yep. So uh, that's really the last of our new characters that we, we expect to be returning uh, in episode two. So let's move on to episode three. And uh, this is where we first meet uh, Envier. I am halfway through my second watch, and every moment that Anvier is on screen, I like her more. Yes, she's fabulous. We start with her literally putting on her armor. Yeah. <laughs> she, she gets the society up, armor. puts on the wig. Yeah, she's, she's girding herself for her daily battle with uh, the game of houses or whatever it's called. She's such a badass. So I had, I had a couple of thoughts about her on the rewatch. Um, well, both, both of them really were like when I rewatched the scene where um, Moraine comes back in and Anvier is waiting for her with her, her tea set set out. And Moraine's like, I'm exhausted. She's like, no, let me tell you how it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm what, the big sister now. Yeah. One was the fact that Anvier has been... Um, stuck in Kyrene dealing with the fallout of whatever her uncle did with the fall of the house and trying to rebuild their house. And she says, you know, I don't blame you for running away. I would have done the same if I could channel. And, you know, Lord knows I tried. She tried to channel so that she could get out of where she was. We saw Moraine with Swan before the, um, the vision changed the course of their lives and they're so lighthearted and they're laughing and they're saying, Oh yeah, we'll do a couple of years of service and then we'll retire together. We'll go off and be fishwives. And she's so happy. And Anvier never got that. She never got that period in her life where she was carefree. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that 
Moraine doesn't age as quickly because of the one power. It's also that she's had the, she had a little bit of a break in there before it, her life went to shit that Envier didn't get. Right. And it's I think a, that like really she... influences her character. Like this is someone who had to grind her way through this without a break. And now right. she's seeing light at the end of the tunnel and she's just, so, she's just so tough and strong. Yeah. I love that. It's like it's like the marriage that got her her son was probably arranged, probably loveless, and uh, you know she never got that that happiness. Yeah, not for herself, but you know at no. least now she's out of the shit. Right. Yeah, I think her her happiness, if it could be called that, comes from knowing that she's safe and comfortable now. Um, after a lifetime of not being safe or comfortable, um, where I guess when she was young, like, obviously, you know, she had that very brief, like, innocence and she had, she had time to enjoy it, but it seems like for the majority of her life, like the bits that mattered the most, she was left adrift. She was on her own. Um, like, there were a lot of base humiliations that she spoke of, like, people, like, spitting on her. And I'm pretty sure that was literal. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. having to beg for food um, and knowing that wasn't just her that was begging for food. It was her name that was begging for food. Um, you know, having to just really, like, she was in the trenches, you know, probably, right. you know, well, we know she was hungry. She was starving, at least a little bit. Um, but not knowing, like, every day she woke up, <laughs> like, if her survival for that day was guaranteed, um, and having to live like that indefinitely, even when she got married, if she got married, um, even, and especially when she had her son, even when, you know, she, like, they kept the house that she lived in, so I don't, like clearly like land rich cash poor but you know mm -hmm. people can get kicked out of those houses happens happens all the time um right especially if it's a titled thing oh yeah know, the and title so, can be revoked or whatever you can't pay your so taxes it, out you go yeah and it also it also makes me wonder when at like at what point of her life the fall happened you know whether she had a brief period of of happiness like up until her you know her 30s or something like that and then the bottom fell out and she spent the next you know 20 30 years working her way out of it uh you know it 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 seems like it seems to hit harder when you lose it after being in it for so many years it's like if it happened when she was young you know she would develop the resilience and build things up but it seems like it was more recent than that you know, it's like within living memory. So, you know, within the past 20, 20, 30 years or something like that. The other thing I really liked about that scene is it almost felt like a, um, a callback to the scene between Moraine and Bail Doman, where Moraine is telling um, Bail Doman, like, you may have practiced the art of trade, but the Aes Sedai invented it. Mm -hmm. The scene where Envier is telling Moraine, you know, all your old eyes and ears are mine now. 
And if you want to know where that red-headed boy went, you have to ask me very nicely over tea. <laughs> it felt like there was this wonderful parallel where, you know, the one battle against the pirate, Moraine came out on top, but she's not coming out on top over her sister. Right. And I really liked that, the way they were kind of framed. Yeah, the yeah. only person who might be able to outplay an Aes Sedai is a Kyrenian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Specifically that Kyrenian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what I noticed on my rewatch. Um, you know, Moraine very explicitly says, you know, I cannot lie. And then a little while later, you know, when Anver ambushes her and says, sit down, we're having a we're having a little chit chat. And Moraine says, you know, I would have returned home if I could have. Anver is like, spare me. Like, you don't like we know that's not true, but it is like, <laughs> right. Like, it's not quite, knowing. like, it is not even true in like the way I said, I talk in loopholes. It is quite literally true as we see later where Moraine is absolutely giddy to bring home Swan and introduce her to the family where Moraine had every intention of returning back to, you know, her hometown and checking in on her family and there's no way on knows that like because i don't right. i guess maureen didn't write home either ever or you know often enough um she's not privy to the prophecy right and yeah. once she got that prophecy as we saw you know not even alana realized what happened but like there was a very quick switch where maureen was single-minded her whole personality changed like she just became a you know a completely new removed different person where obviously she still loves people she still has her bonds with folks but they're secondary to the prophecy and what she's doing for it um but Anvira doesn't Anvira doesn't know that all she knows is that her sister never came home never wrote her sister for all intents and purposes was dead to her mm -hmm. and so when Moraine shows up and Anvir sitting there and she hears her sister going, oh, I wanted to go home. Like, not only does it sound like a lie, it sounds like an insult. <laughs> right. And, I, you know, I it's it's so sad on both ends, but I, I can understand why she's just kind of like, I, I don't care. That's irrelevant at this point, whether you did or did not like this, because this is what it is now. I feel like. She figures it out, though. Um, I don't think it's in this episode. I think it's in the next one where she brings Rand back to the house. And Moran is saying, like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. And if I choose wrong, I'm going to destroy you and Barthanis and this entire city. And Anvir says, you shouldn't have come back. So I think maybe at that point, she kind of gets it. Mm. It's not that you were away mm. because you... You wanted to be, it's you're away because you are dragging some big bomb around with you. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I agree at this point in the relationship, it's still very much, you know, you could have come back if you wanted to, if you really had wanted to. All right. Uh, I think that pretty well covers Envier, especially for another character who was never even in the books. Wait, so, really? Really? Yeah. Aw. Moraine has such older sister energy. <laughs> <laughs> I do not remember whether Moraine has a sister in the books. I believe she did, but we never actually met said sister. Um, 
There is a cousin of Moraine's named Colaver that we meet in the books, which I believe is they're they're making that character into Anvier, which the names sound similar. And I like the sister character better, especially if this character is going to go on to do the things that are that uh Colaver does in the books. It's going to be phenomenal. And and so I, yeah. Is is Colaver uh cousin from the uh the uncle who dishonored the house like um i don't line of that i don't know if it's direct line of the uncle but she is a cousin of the same house so okay she 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 is the representative of the house in kyrian at the time gotcha. so she okay. she really is very much in the same same position as alvier i am looking forward to seeing more of her yeah she's a badass i love her um and then uh we could go over uh, Barthanis, but we already covered him in our Dark Friends episode. So, uh, mm-hmm. little Lord Fauntleroy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I still, still like Barthanis. I just, me too. I, uh, it's probably the curls. <laughs> My God, just, oh God, I'm sucker for a boy with curly hair. Just... <laughs> you know what it is to me? Has anybody here yep. seen Ray Donovan? No. No. Okay. Ray has this brother, Bunchy, who's just... Bunchy! He's an innocent. He, he's he's, he's, he's kind of an adult child, you know? He, he never quite kind of got everything figured out, but he's a really nice guy. Just really nice guy. But he keeps fucking up trying to do nice things for people. And every time mm. you, he does, you're just like, oh, Bunchy. And Bunchy. that's kind of how I feel about... <laughs> About Barthanus. It's just like, oh, Barthanus. Like, what? what? Oh. He made a, signed a contract with the devil. Oh, oh. It's okay. We you understand. You were probably doing it for the right reasons, but oh, boy. Giving you the benefit of the doubt. But, oh, man. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> Sweetie, why, why did you come to me? We could have talked about it. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, moving on to some of our other new characters this season. Uh, these are these are not returning characters, but I do kind of want to to mention them. And that is, we see Min's aunts in Min's flash in Min's weird little fever dream brought along by. Uh, by Ishamael. They were terrifying. Yeah. I, I just wanted to go in for a second and just talk about uh, what we think that was like for men growing up. I mean, if you're going to be in a family business, you know, clairvoyance is, uh, is a rough one. Yeah. You know? And the question is, were they all, did they also have the gift or were they just profiting off of her gift? You know, I had that question, too, where I was like, why does this feel like a fam? I mean, it obviously was a family business, but I like I was like, "Mm, this kind of feels like it runs in the family. But hers like knocks everybody's out the park Um, where like I guess it could have been like, oh, we have this child who has this gift, but they didn't seem afraid of it or suspicious of it. Like, there was way too much giddiness about it for, like, I guess people who are like, oh, you're clairvoyant, you're psychic, like, yay, because men hates when people, like, ambush her, approach her, ask her for once they find out. But I, like, in hindsight, like, 
thinking about this backwards i was like well it makes sense how she like ran away from the tower like how like she hates the tower like how she responded to the abuse of the tower if she'd already been through that once before with her family so i think i came to the conclusion where i was like okay this runs in the family like they seem to be way too familiar with this they seem to like know exactly how to leverage this but they they're very vicious, very sinister in the way they're handling. Like, she's like, no, I don't want to. And they're like, we don't give a fuck. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> in which case, I was like, yeah, she, she, she's the best. Like, if this is a family gift, like, everybody else got stocking stuffers, and she got, like, the monster $500 present underneath the tree. <laughs> <laughs> See, my impression was slightly different. I saw them as kind of um, con men mm-hmm. who had like a golden goose drop into their lap. Right. It's like they've been making a living sort of as hucksters. Yeah. As, you know, for for possibly generations of, you know, it's like, yeah, we can tell your future, air quotes. And then they get somebody who can actually do it. And it's like, oh, now we're in the money. Yeah, that's kind of the the impression I got too. Like they had always had their booth set up, you know, talk to the woman with the crystal ball and, you know, oh, I see a tall dark man in your future. Ooh. Yeah, but mm-hmm. and she comes along and it's like this is specific thing is going to happen to you in the near future. Yeah, they're like, "Oh, we don't have to like make stuff up anymore. We can actually make a lot of money with this." Yeah. Yeah. The downside of telling people the truth though is that they often go away unhappy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the flip side. Your, hus- your, your husband is going to beat you to death, you know, on yeah. the eve of your wedding. It's maybe not the news you wanted to hear. Right. Um, okay. So moving on, uh, we've got another new character that uh, I, I I don't think anybody here doesn't like this character. Um, Hopper. Such a good boy. boy. (laughs) The goodest of boys. He was done wrong. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was unnecessary. Hopper got the screw job on that one, man. Um, Mm -hmm. I I, I hate to say, but it was necessary uh, for the storyline. But yeah, I I agree. It wasn't necessary. We didn't need to see it. (laughs) You, You have no idea how hard it was for me knowing it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Get, getting to meet Hopper and just knowing, oh, God, I know what's coming. <laughs> yeah. As many storytelling tropes as Robert Jordan has, you know, ha- has flipped on their head, the introducing a dog who's only going to die is like, oh, you know, the yeah. old yeller treatment. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic for a reason. There's a website called Does the Dog Die? <laughs> so that you but, don't consume media where you have to watch a dog die. I, yeah. yeah, it's let's it's watch all kinds of sections oh, on God, it. Like, does no. the dog die? Does the, um, the, the horse, horse die? die? Yeah, there's yeah. one about uh, bury your. It does it have bury your gaze? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, not yet, not yet. Um, yeah, I don't think there's much more to be said about Hopper other than he is the goodest boy. And yes. Goodest boy. So moving on, we are all the way up to episode five now with our new characters. And uh, our next one, I think we're going to have a lot to say about Avienda. 
badass. Right? Love, love, love. The, the, the AO, the AO characters that we've met so far have all just been absolute badasses. It's like you, you just see that warrior spirit of independence and self-reliance that is, it, it's just a great, uh, hero trope, you know, sort of the, the wandering, uh, ranger kind of thing. And it's, yeah. uh, it really works. And I, I love that the people that they are casting, uh, they just, they just look badass. They're well-trained. It's, oh, it just gets you into it. And and one thing I really like is that every Aeol warrior we've seen so far that is still breathing has been uh, presents as female. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and every Aeol fight we've seen so far has been with someone who presents as female, right? Which I just love. It it's yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. It makes me even more curious to learn about their culture because, like, surely everybody can't be a warrior. Right. There have to be teachers. Someone's got to stay home and cook. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that kind of, like, take, you know, the, the, the ones who take care of the kids. <laughs> They've got to be armorers. There's, yeah, there's so much that needs to be done. Can't have an army without a blacksmith. Right. That kind of exactly. thing. I picture something very egalitarian, actually, where, I mean, because we see a nine-months pregnant woman taking out an entire like an entire regiment single-handedly and clearly no one felt some type of way about like her going into battle i mean maybe they did i don't know i'm i'm assuming but no one stopped her and if they did try to right. stop her they didn't succeed so <laughs> i'm yeah. going back <laughs> yeah i, I, I was gonna to... say after seeing what she did to those other soldiers it may not be that nobody tried to stop her it's just that nobody was Capable of stopping her. Even with her right. center of gravity <laughs> fucked up. I, yeah, minus the whole part where they're definitely not pacifists. Like, that reminds me a bit of, like, air nomad culture in Avatar. Where, like, there's, like, you have your temples and there are nuns and there are monks. And they are, they are, this, they are the same level. Like, you don't, just because you're a woman and you're you're in this society does not mean that you can't be extremely learned, extremely like capable. And then you have people who you have your, your, your travelers, you have people who teach, you have people who train like, and people who fight because you can, even though you're a nomadic culture does not mean like you, you can't defend yourself. And so it just like, I'm like, Hmm. That's 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 kind of what I see. Where obviously people are like, "Oh, they're west of the spine. They're not supposed to be here." But I I gather that seeing them outside of like I guess their home their home space usually isn't unusual. Like you know, you see when you're like, "Oh," but you're you're also not like, "Oh." that makes any sense at all it's only oh if like shit's going down which clearly shit has been going down 
left and right. Right. It, it's almost it's almost like the <clears throat> it's it's almost like the Rangers. You know, they're, they're they're kind of the Rangers. You know, they are the ones that are at the front lines and expanding into uh, you know expanding into other territories because you know they they're apt to be uh underestimated you know it, it's like we've got these these badass women that can sort of blend in and nobody would suspect that you know they can completely kick everyone's ass uh because if you send a big dude out there it's like okay that's dressed like a warrior and there's an element of stealth that's not there and everybody wants to pick the fight. Yeah. So sort of like the unassuming librarian who turns out to be the fastest shot in the West, you know? So you're theorizing that the, the feminine warriors in this society operate as the forward scouts or the Rangers as it were. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think so. Sort of the seal team kind of, uh, kind of, kind of thing. And, and that's and, kind of why we've only seen them and not armies of Aiel, possibly, right. because they're out there scouting, not actually necessarily doing anything as of yet. I possibly, mean, yeah. The children of the the children of the light, they didn't listen. They didn't see it coming. So, and you would think right. they would like have tabs on everybody who's a threat. Well, they captured her. They were they able to capture her. her. So. What does that say about them? But they you were know? surprised how many how many people it yeah. took to take her I was, down. I was going to say, oh, how yeah. many people did it? I think take he said it was. He's, I think it was like Not eleven, enough. and then another five to actually like grab her. Yeah, that's a lot of people. Just grab one yeah. arm. Screw you! I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> if I grab the arm that doesn't have the sword, that means the sword is still able to swing. But if I grab uh, the one uh, with the sword, I'm closer to the sword. Uh, point of order, there is no way Niall is going to be swinging a sword. We see spears. It's all about spears. Oh, we spears. Don't see swords. Yes. You're right. My bad. There, and I'll say there's, there's a reason we don't see swords. Mm. You will never, and I mean never, see an Aiel with a sword. Are you going to tell us why, or? Oh, the show will tell you why. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't know Fair about enough. that because we've seen Rand. Rand's got a sword, but Rand is not culturally Aiel. True. True. It's not like an allergy. <laughs> <laughs> They're allergic to swords. Yes, they break out in hives or wounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're really good with all weaponry except swords. For some reason, they always keep stabbing themselves in the foot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they're all butterfingers when it comes to swords. Yeah, it's like they can do with daggers. They can deal with with spears, but you know that length in the middle, they just can't. Yeah, in between, <laughs> they can't do it. We're good with the long weapons and the short weapons. The medium size, ugh, not so much. <laughs> Uh, so any other thoughts about Avienda? I want to see more of her and the other Aiels. Absolutely. Just a great badass character. Like Perrin seems to have a knack for meeting really cool people. And I hope, <laughs> I hope he sticks it out because I feel like Perrin and Avienda would make a really, really cute, like friendship pair. 
Mm-hmm. Like, like she so, teases so you him don't see, so bad. You're not getting your hard eyes with those two. You're you're just no. She teases him too badly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think she would eat him alive, and they both know that. <laughs> so it's like no. <laughs> yeah, parents' wolf sense is like, yeah, don't get too close to this one. I, I'm just a little bit sad that uh, we didn't get to see Avienda and Elias meet, because... Mm. Hmm. That would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I see that happening one of two ways. Either, you know, game recognizes game and they're just cool with each other, or game recognizes game and they're in a stare-off. Game you know? on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so uh, enough about the Aiel for now. Um, for now. I'm saying there, there's going to be plenty about the IEL later. We're, oh, I'm sure. Yay. There are going to be entire episodes about the IEL. You you have no idea. I'm, I'm already planning out probably two dozen episodes about IEL culture once we finally get there. <laughs> Hell um, yeah. Season three. I'm hoping. I've got my fingers yeah. crossed. One day. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, back to our, our new characters in season two. Uh We've got a couple new brown sisters that we were introduced to, uh, Yasika and Naomi. Um, we we only got to see a little bit of Naomi, but Yasika came came back a couple times, and and she is up for anything. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> she is like, ooh, <laughs> shenanigans, count me in. It's like, yeah, things gotten boring around here. Let's liven it up. It's kind of funny because, like, what we've we haven't seen a ton of how the other Ajas interact within their group. Um, the reds are very like cliquey, and and the blues don't really seem to have much in the way of interpersonal relationships. The browns, on the other hand, are like, "I've got your back, sister." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Their their whole thing like, is like, information. Ride and or you die. Can't have information. <laughs> you can't have the, that information without relationships. So yeah. they have fun. Like yes, oh, yeah. I don't. Like the Reds have their thing, but I don't think what they have going on can be called fun. The Browns, like it's probably because no one probably pays attention to them where they're like the uncool, <laughs> the uncool Aja. And so they're like, well, hell, well, you know. So so they're the nerdy Aja. So they're all just over Doing in the library playing, yeah. playing Dungeons and Dragons or something. And... They're having a ball. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the first two we meet, like the first two we meet are just. Like, Varen, I guess, can can be, she can come off as, like, I guess, kind of, like, mature. <laughs> like, really, like, a little bit boring. But, like, she she has a streak in her. And, you know, her sister's just off the chain. And oh, then yeah. we meet, the first thing we see, we see these two, that they are drinking, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, hey, come they're on in. in. I'll, pour, <laughs> I'll, pour you, I'll pour you a shot and the shot's, like eight ounces so yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I really like them they, they, that they look like the most pour. fun Aj- aja to be a part of and oh, also yeah. like they have this superpower they have access to all this knowledge they literally spend all their time reading and nobody yeah. pays them any mind so they are into they are the everything. most underestimated <laughs> mm-hmm. aja. information Absolutely. is power and they got it and uh, yeah, like I 
kept calling her throughout the season uh, uh, Velma Sedai. <laughs> like, well, we've got Velma Sedai, we've got Columbo Sedai, we we need a Jessica Fletcher Sedai and a, a Poirot Sedai. I, I feel like we have a, like, we'll get enough Browns to fill out all of our, our mystery sleuths. Oh, yeah. Especially all the literary references. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they just have that, that feel of a Scooby gang to me of, you know, we're going to, we're on the case and we're going to crack it come hell or high water. It's kind of like a room full of willows from Buffy. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I was imagining Warwick Davis when you said that and that just didn't work out. (laughs) (laughs) No, that would be in the, yeah, that's, that's a very different. Wrong willow. Yes. Wrong willow. (laughs) Uh, so anything else to say about the Browns other than we obviously want to party with them? Oh, ain't no party like a Brown party. <laughs> oh yeah. I guess this is more for Varen, but I I've seen this in all of them where when Varen approaches Moraine outside the campfire and Moraine pulls the knife on her and she's like, we're not going to do that tonight. Where she <laughs> like she outblues Moraine and mm-hmm. and she does it she does it so elegantly where Moraine's like I need you to swear and she's like what's the point of that you know and then she lays <laughs> out picture perfect flawless logic where she's like we don't know what's gonna happen I might have to betray you I might have to betray the dragon we'll see how this goes. You're just going to have to trust me. And I was like, now, you know, telling a blue to trust something is like, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a bit, it's a little bit futile. Um, yeah. But like, she puts Moraine in a bind where Moraine couldn't like do anything, but be like, okay, you're right. Um, and, you know, and Moraine accepts it. And I, I don't think it's just because of, who Varen is as a person. I think it's because Moraine recognized like she was, she met her match in this moment. And I, 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 I feel like Browns are just like that. You know, when Jessica was in those stacks at Chiron and she was like, yeah, this is what I found. And, you know, they like, they work the rest of, the eye said eye into what they needed them to be, where they needed them to be. I was like, I, I really like these. Like, I feel like Browns, uh, what we've seen so far, I was like, mm, they they could have been anything else, but they actively chose not to. And I I, re- I really like that where I'm sure, like, especially reds and greens are probably like, oh, those rejects. Where Browns <laughs> yeah. like, I could be you. And I could be you better than you, but I'm not. <laughs> Like, because I have something better to do with my time. It does make me wonder if things like logic and debate are part of Brown training. Oh, probably. If it's not part of training, it's what they're doing in the, you know, it's what they're doing in their off time. Except uh, logic and debate are strictly speaking uh, the white and the gray Aja's specialties. White is all oh, about I'm, logic. I'm sure they're still and... playing around with it. But it's probably written down somewhere. Uh, yeah, <laughs> true. This is true. They got reads access the to documentation. The... Yeah. <laughs> they RTFM. They read the fine manuals. Uh, Samari, so I wanted to comment on what you were just saying about Varen there, because 
you haven't heard the last episode yet, uh, I don't believe, but it was theorized in the last episode when when they were talking about Varen that Varen could very well be a secret blue agent within the Browns. Ooh, I mean, and you seem to have just kind of theorized kind of the same thing that she just outblued more. She's got the skills. She did. <laughs> I was <laughs> taking notes. I was like, and Moraine did not see it coming. Like, I, I get the feeling that Moraine's like the best of them in the blue, her and Swan, and like, I don't think she does this intentionally, where she's like, "Oh, you're not a blue. You can't." You're you're not as clever as we are. Like I don't I don't feel like she's we intentionally game, like yeah. that. But I feel like if you're not a blue, she's not going to expect much out of you in terms of like her skill set. And so like she to be blindsided like that. I mean, it was funny. I love Misa Moraine. <laughs> I, I was given a hearty chuckle at that scene. She didn't expect it, not even a little bit. Yeah, it, it, it's a great point that y'all brought up about they've got. They've got the documentation. They've got the manuals. They probably have a lot of free time. So they have become, you know, Jack's ball trades, so to speak, or Jill's ball trades, and are able to get the essence of what a lot of these Ajas do, these other Ajas. So they are the most versatile out there because it's all, it's a school, it's knowledge, you know, all that training, they've, they've got access to it. And they don't have the internet, so like they have nothing to distract them. They so, are so the, the Browns are the internet. Yeah, that's what I was. Gonna yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're the White Tower Wikipedia. I wonder if the White Tower is like the the Library of Alexandria, where you go out and you get all the books that other people have and make copies. Probably. Yeah, I can see them. I can see them traveling with other Aja, like all over the place, like because. Mm-hmm. You know, secondhand information's fine, but firsthand information's even better. Yeah, field research. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that's where no it's substitute. Off. No substitute. Uh, and then moving on, um, not that I want to move on from the Brown Asha because they, yeah, you're right. They're the party Aja. They're they're. We need to hang out there more often. From the Brown Aja to the Yellow Aja, um, and our last uh, people that we're going to cover in this episode, uh, Rima and Basan. They were done wrong. They were. Yeah. I'm really hoping to see Rima again. I'm hoping that that she was not on uh, the tower when it got, when everybody got killed and that she makes it out. When it went boom. Yeah. And hopefully has escaped the, escaped her fate. But let's. Yeah, I was going to say, I I think she would rather be dead than still alive and collared. Yeah. Well, we know she would since she actually tried to get Basan to do that very thing, yeah. And the way they use the one power to, like, basically dismantle their opponent. Yeah. <laughs> Everything felt very anatomical. Like, yeah. Like, like she was referencing, you know, Grey's Anatomy in her head. Like, okay, <laughs> we want to bend it right yeah. there, and then right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like those jokes where they're like, what happens if you, what happens if you can't like pay, pay the surgeon? It's like, oh, they just re-break your bone or something like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they they, they go in there and put that bad kidney back. <laughs> Reverse yeah. engineering. Um, I mean, that actually is exactly what she did in that fight was reverse engineering her healing. Um, 
Yeah, that that is exactly. Yeah. It, it was healing in reverse. A lot of it felt like, yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, gosh, she. I really wondered, like, how does a healer end up in the city where you're at severe risk for enslavement? Like, it's a when, not an if. Um, and she's there undetected. Like, even Megan. Megan got got very quickly. Um, yeah. And, I mean, I was impressed, like, She's just her bearing, um, her relationship with her warder, um, how she took in Nynaeve and Elaine, no questions asked. Um, just, you know, she she has a life here in, in the city where making a life for yourself as someone who can channel is impossible. Um, and I, well, like, it wasn't I, necessarily impossible before the Sean Chan arrived. mm that's right. I keep treating this place like a home base, and it's not. It's a conquered yeah. city. No, it was. Just, it was an. It's an occupied city. Yeah. So she was probably there. You know, sort of like a country doctor kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, just yeah. sort of the healer of the, of the, you know, of the town. And, and so, honestly, people in town may not have even known she was Aes Sedai. She may have been right. there. You know, undercover, as it were. As, as a wisdom. local, but you know, she can still do her healing. She just doesn't tell any anybody, oh yeah, by the way, these herbs aren't gonna do anything. It's actually coming out of my hands, kind of thing. So she had um the blue with my gun, the blue ring. And mm -hmm. didn't she also have a green ring as well? Another one. Uh, of she sisters? had multiple rings. Um I think we saw a brown, a blue, a green. I'm not sure what else. Okay. I had assumed that she was one of the people that the White Tower sent to find out what was going oh, on. Oh, that's true. That it, there was a scout scout and team I, sort of sent. I, I had been kind of curious as to it, if you know that the town has been invaded, if it's normal to send a couple of different Aja to investigate. Because if you have the green, obviously you're there to fight. The blue are there for you know, intelligence gathering, sending a yellow with them to heal them up, especially if the mm -hmm. greens, yeah. you know, ends up getting hurt. Or the, well, or well, the like warders get Sending hurts. a platoon out, there's usually yeah. a medic. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. field medics are part of any any marching army, so e even the smallest group of them is going to have a medic within the group. So, yeah, it, mm -hmm. it would make sense. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure. I could go either way with it, whether she was based there originally or was part of the the scout party. I would like to think she was part of the scout party because if I would think if she was based there originally, she probably would have sent information back to the tower at some point. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, that's true. And also could have been, you know, ratted out by the people there. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Somebody in town would have known and she probably would have been ratted out by this point. That's yeah. true. Yeah. It would kind of make sense, though, to have um, Aes Sedai kind of in different major cities in different parts of the world, just as sending a yellow Aja to work in some, you know, city where they could use a healer seems like a really good PR move. Yeah. If yeah. you're trying to maintain power and influence. That's true. Maybe not in the one where the 
white cloaks operate, but you know, the other ones. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I don't think uh, PR seems to be a very large department within the tower from what we've seen so far. True. No. Got to work on their marks. Is that what the white cloaks are supposed to, or the, not the white cloaks, the white eyeshire are supposed to do is like diplomacy and. Mm, I think that's the gray. Oh, is it the gray? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, the reds ones are the ones everybody's afraid of. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they're one of the few Ajas that are regularly in the field and the few that the people see on a regular and not exactly the so Aja you the want problem. showing. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. right? It's like if the only ones you see are the cops, you don't have a really good impression of... So, I mean, the blues are out tower. in the world, but if they're doing their job right, you don't know. Yeah. And, and the greens might be out in the world, but they're probably, you know... They're soldiers. They're probably yeah, not mixing the with the Yeah, when the greens show up, purple. you need to run. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shit's about to get... Real. Yeah. Skyward. <laughs> and if the browns show up, oh, party time. Yeah. <laughs> and the kids get to go to school. Yay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're opening a new library. It'll be a five-day party. No, if the browns show up, that means that shit probably just went down. Yeah, yeah. they're there. Yeah. <laughs> they're there to yeah, document. They're there to document. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. I think, uh, that covers everything. Um, I, I'm well aware that we did not cover Rena in this so far, but, uh, we, we had People a discussion a lot and, to and say there, there is a lot to say about the character of Rena and we're, we're going to save her for her own episode, I think, uh, because yeah, we can definitely fill an episode with the conversation around that. Uh, but, uh, other than that, I believe we've covered most of our new characters for this season. And with that, I think we'll call that an episode. Uh, Greg, would you like to take us out? Sure. First of all, let's thank Michael and Jen at the Watch Party Secret Island Headquarters. Thank, thank you, Michael, thank Michael, you. And Jen. Michael and Jen. Michael and Jen are the hosts and benefactors of our sister podcast, Watch Party Lord of the Rings, a watch party of ice and fire and watch party gaming. Please rate and review us at iTunes or wherever you get your fine, your finer podcasts. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can email us at whatwatchparty at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and all of the grams at whatwatchparty.com. We also have a Discord where you can meet with your fellow fans and also the panelists. Now, it's time for our final question. And that final question being, of all of the Season 2 new characters that we, we suspect may be returning, who are you most excited to see return and why? Hmm. If you had asked me this before my binge, I would have said on Veer. But now, oh gosh, I can't choose. It's either Varen or it's or it's Elaine. And I can't decide who I most want. I'm gonna go with Elaine. <laughs> <laughs> like by by a hair of it. Um one because she's she's a ray of sunshine. <laughs> And yes. God knows we're going to need that come season three. Um, <laughs> but also, I can't wait now that she's with the other five. Five. I can't wait to see them all together and how she fits in and her dynamic as the new friend of this 
quintet that's been with each other since they were kids. Um, I think that's just going to be a really fun energy, really interesting how, you know, the friendships and the roles shift and how she affects the nuances of those relationships and how she builds her own with each of them. Um, I think... (laughs) You know, it's it's so funny. Like when she meets Rand, she gets like the love interest halo. And I don't think that's going to happen, but I think it'd be funny to see it anyway. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to go with that. Want that relationship to crash and burn. Maybe not crash and burn, but like gently, amicably, consciously uncouple and remain friends. Yeah. OK, I can I can go with that. I've got a few. I've got a few. You know, of course, Adelaus. Adelaus is just fun. She's a bundle of fun, and I want her to just show up and lighten things up. And I, then I'm get noticing cornered a theme, and, a, a theme yeah. happening here. Everybody wants the, yeah. the light, lighter characters to return. <laughs> <laughs> but we need I a also break every once in a while between <laughs> all the. But I also want to see her kick ass. You know, I want to I want to see what she can do in a situation where, you know, she's like drunken master and uh, <laughs> you know, she's taking everybody down. I, I love your but theory that she is way. that that this self-assurance of hers comes from the fact that she is that damn good. Yeah. And and I, I, I want like to see it theory. now, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's Elias and there's Bill Doman. Oh, just so many people I want to see again i have gone back and forth on the answer to this question about 60 times just in the time <laughs> that you have been talking <laughs> but i think so i mean there's there's tons of characters that i want to learn more about i mean i want to you know learn more about avienda i want to learn more about um, elias but i think the person i'm really looking forward to seeing where their story goes is lanfear because she's kind of at a pivotal moment where she could continue to help Rand or she could go back to being a full-time 100% villain. And and it's not like it's a choice between good and bad because I don't think good is really an option for her. She's just <laughs> <laughs> she's just well, a nasty she's, piece of work. It's but, just a, a choice between bad and slightly less bad. <laughs> but she does like what actions she chooses going forward, I think has the potential to add a lot to the story. And I really want to see what happens with her. Okay. Um, my answer to this question is. Um, Let's see you work tacos into this one. Uh, no, no tacos. Um, no. Um, I, I genuinely, I want to see Errol, more of Errol. Um, it's. I know where most of the characters are headed and most of their their character development is not going to be shocking or surprising to me in any way. So that's why I'm interested in Errol. He's not a character from the books, but he's a character that feels like a character from the books. And I want to see what they do with him. And um, on that same level, uh, the other characters I'm really interested in seeing are the characters that I don't know from the books. Um, I am actually interested to see if Barthanis returns. I am, I am so interested to see where Colavere's story goes. These are the unknowns for me. So they're the ones that interest me the most. Barthanis. 
well, you know, I just wanted to call him into the principal's office and be like, now we can still turn this around. <laughs> <laughs>